This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your host, Radio Joe Hughes, and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus. This week is episode 607, and we're going to have a hurricane update. We're calling this a post-hurricane edda report from the Sunshine State. Perspectives from the Trenches, a roundtable, an IAQ Radio Plus roundtable. And joining us will be Peter Crosa, David Drinard, John Lapoter, Ken Larson, David Popper, and Ken Siders. Before we get started, let's thank our sponsors. They are the reason we are still able to do the show. Our marquee sponsor, Instascope, the future of IAQ assessment, unlimited sampling with instant results at instascope.co. Association sponsors are the American Industrial Hygiene Association at AIHA.org, the American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists at ACGIH.org, the Cleaning Industry Research Institute at CIRIScience.org, the Indoor Air Quality Association at IAQA.org, the Restoration Industry Association at restorationindustry.org, the Institute for Inspection, Cleaning, and Restoration Certification at iicrc.org, and Healthy Buildings America 2021 at hb2021-america.org. Industry sponsors are AEML Laboratories at aemlinc.com, Particles Plus at ParticlesPlus.com, and Healthy Indoors Magazine at HealthyIndoors.com. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnick at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man. Hello, everyone. Congratulations go out to Don Weeks, Winnipeg, Ontario, Canada, who was first to identify the 1880s agrarian lifestyle as the reason that U.S. elections are always held on Tuesdays. The IQ Radio Trivia question for today, Friday, November 20, 2020, has been sponsored by Ideas, a solution chemistry company providing unique solutions to odor removal, surface cleaning, and decontamination problems. Here's today's IAQ Radio trivia question. When did the U.S. begin using female names for storms? Back to you, Joe. Thank you, Cliff. Okay, so let's go through the lineup today. Peter Crosa is an independent <clears throat> excuse me, insurance adjuster and past president of the National Association of Independent Insurance Adjusters. David Drenard is the Equipment uh, Sunbelt Rental Inc.'s National Strategic Customer Manager, John Lapoter is a building envelope and indoor environment consultant providing IAQ consultation for commercial and residential properties in Orlando, Florida. Ken Larson has been uh, in the, his career includes 18 years as an independent property restoration contractor and a consultant to the restorative drying during catastrophes and large loss drying and coordination and an expert witness. And David Popper of DH Popper of Orlando, Florida, he specializes in commercial litigation, insurance litigation, construction litigation, real estate litigation, and fraud and suspicious claims litigation. 
And finally, Ken Siders, the National Senior Vice President of Environmental Services for Capstone Environmental, a house check company. Gentlemen, welcome and thanks for joining us. Um, what we'd like to start is get an idea of what you're seeing in the field, how claims are being handled, some comments on the Gulf region. So let's go down the, down the list here. Let's start with Peter Crosa. How are things going in the field out there, Peter, in the uh, post-hurricane era? Well, the uh, storm adjusters are very busy. I got a call a couple of weeks ago from a guy who had, uh, he was a third-party administrator. He had 5,000 claims over in the Oklahoma area. Wow. Um, where the storm came, you know, on board and moved a little farther north. I could have sent him my 70-year-old sister uh, to help out. He was so desperate for help. And that's just kind of the status quo. When these storms hit, there's a scramble for boots on the ground. And what that speaks to is the quality, the expertise of the adjuster who's going to look at that claim. <clears throat> you know, you mentioned Oklahoma. I think a lot of people don't realize that some of these storms, you know, brought large amounts of rainfall further in, you know, uh, than we've ever seen. So I'm and glad tornadoes. you mentioned that. Yeah. And tornadoes as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, David Drenard, you're the uh, Sunbelt's National Strategic Customer Manager. I am sure you have been all over the place and busy as heck. Can you give us some thoughts on what you're seeing? Yeah, yeah. So we were. We uh, started out with wildfires in, in the west. Uh, and then we had the derecho storms. And then we had the four hurricanes that, that pounded Louisiana. So uh, our teams have been very busy. And then top of all that, you add in the fact that we have had a nationwide response to, uh, you know, providing mm -hmm. services for some uh, uh, temporary COVID sites at hospitals. So our teams have been extremely busy. And we still have jobs going on from the storms uh, in Louisiana and some other areas. And uh, we are still maintenancing and, and providing services on those job sites as well. Are you still able to supply equipment? It would seem like you'd almost be out of equipment, David. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, it, it's been tough. It, it's a struggle. We bring in equipment from all over the country to respond to these disasters. Uh, in one of one case we had, uh, in Hurricane Laura, at one of our locations alone, we had over 600 uh, tractor-trailer deliveries and pickups. So you can imagine the uh, the enormous response and the logistics that it takes to to bring in the equipment to get to the the, the uh, businesses in need. And then, are you having trouble? We had a guest on a couple of weeks ago, Jeff Siegel, Dr. Siegel, and and he was talking about filtration and. Some people are having trouble getting filters. Are you able to get replacement filters for your equipment fairly easily, or has that really become a struggle? Uh, it, it's been tough in, in some cases. I think it's been better lately. Uh, to my knowledge, I believe that we have been able to provide the filters needed with the equipment, uh, HEPA filters and the pre-filters and, and so forth. So uh, we haven't had too much problem with that. We stock up too. So... Uh, when we have a large amount in one area, we may make a decision to have some of that move to a different area that's in need. Cliff, did you have a follow-up? I, I, I do, Dave. You know, one of the things I, I noticed, you know, with COVID, and I'm not sure whether you're running into it or not, but I know that some restoration contractors are getting involved specifically in hospitals with using this hard containment. And I know some rental companies are involved with that. And I just wondered whether that was something that Sunbelt gets involved with. 
uh, on the containment side, not as much. Uh, we do we do offer some of the soft and hard hard container uh, small on a small scale, uh, not not on a, a larger scale of building the actual uh, temporary site, for example. But what we do is supply uh, heat and air conditioning and and actual power. Okay. All right, let's go to John Lapoter. John, you you come from the indoor environmental professional and expert witness perspective. What what are you seeing with respect? And I know you travel too, so um, you could be doing work in Florida. You could be in Louisiana. What are you seeing? Well, I think uh, more than anything, relationships are key in uh, in times of storms. There are so many people reacting, and so many people assessing, and so many adjusters adjusting that if you have a good relationship with a carrier and uh, uh, adjusters, then you're gonna be trusted to make the assessment and be able to move forward in the best interest of your client, the property owner. So for us, uh, we're being asked to come in uh, in uh, uh, response to the storm for the property owners at the uh, advice of adjusters and carriers because we have experience and we're trusted. Uh, We're seeing a lot of people take advantage of the situation hundreds and hundreds of air samples taken before uh, properties are stabilized um, and adjusters looking to put an end to a lot of wholesale gutting and unnecessary sampling to get property stabilized. So I would say the most important thing that we're seeing is that we're able to act on the, the relationships that we've built prior to the large losses and capitalize on that and help our property owners. Interesting. We'll come back to that in a moment there, John. Let's, let's go to uh, Ken Larson, also from the, um, well, Ken, you've kind of got a restoration perspective and you do some third-party administrative type of work. Uh, what are you seeing? Well, um, yeah, so I, I just want to play a little bit on what uh, Peter Crosa and John Lapater said. Um, you know, relationships are important. Um, unfortunately, there's so much uh, demand for the insurance adjusters uh, to get to these job sites that they are having uh, to resort to other means to get these claims handled. Uh, one of the things that I've observed is that uh, uh, third-party consultants are starting to be pulled in on some of these jobs. And I'm not certain that uh, uh, the, the consultants that are put on on these jobs have the experience that they once, uh, we've once been accustomed to. Um, what I've encountered at least twice in the last week is large losses, contractors on the job, uh, things were moving as uh, expected, and then the third-party consultant comes in on the job. And just so everybody understands what a third-party consultant is, it might be somebody like JS Held or like MBA or like Young and Associates or Sedgwick. Um, these are they have some really good quality consultants in those firms. But at least twice last week, I've heard from the contractor and the policyholder that they are um, these third-party consultants are messing things up to the point where they're being escorted off the property. The consultant is being escorted off the property. And so I'm being asked to come in and help bring some uh, sensibility and some standardized uh, work uh, or speak to the the subject of standard restoration practices on these sensitive jobs. Uh, It's too bad that it's come to that, but uh, it's pretty hard to make a a relationship with a, a claims representative when they are so new to the industry and might not be familiar with uh, uh, the industry standard of care as it's written today. 
not, not only are they new, they're, they're, according to Peter, overwhelmed at this point in time as well. So that's, that's got to really make it a kind of a double-edged sword. Let's go to David Popper, Attorney Popper. What are you seeing right now and your, from your perspective as an attorney? You know, it's funny because um, in my business, I tell my young lawyers that although it's just another case to us, people wake up, and go to bed, the only thought of the day is that lawsuit. You're thinking about it day and night. And I tell my contractors, that's the way people are that are hiring their services. Often contractors get so busy, they don't communicate. When they don't communicate, there's problems. And uh, people will go get some other people, but they've already signed a contract with this guy, and it becomes a mess. So I, I advise them to send, call them once, every, once a month, once every two weeks, send them an email every week. Keep them updated. Um, and when you do that, you gain a lot of favor and you'll need me a lot less. Uh, again, it's communication. It's realizing that these people are in a very, very desperate situation. Um, I mean, you know, your house is a mess. The wipes all over you to get it done. Why isn't a contractor calling, et cetera, et cetera. That can all be avoided as long as people know what's going on. And I, I find that that helps wonder really well with me. Uh, when people, I'm involved in several multi-million dollar cases and people obviously want them done, but the minute you communicate and let people know what's going on, you're much better off. And you know, the, one other thing is, is that a lot of guys are starting to use direction for payments. And there's three different appellate courts that say a direction for payment is the exact same as an assignment of benefit. Sometimes you'll get away with it because insurance companies don't, want any don't know any better. But if you get caught, you're out of luck. So I would not suggest you use direction for payments. And that, is that a Florida-specific thing, David, or is that? Yes. Uh, you know, Florida, we used to have the assignments of benefits. And, uh, and the assignment of benefits was created because homeowners did not know how to deal with insurance companies. So, um, and that worked well because the professional handled it until we had so many hurricanes in the panhandle and a lot of fly-by-nights came in, got AOB signed, and took off. And the homeowners didn't own their claim anymore. And that's what uh -huh. happened. So I July see. of 2019, AOBs were outlawed. Well, they're not outlawed completely. There is very limited circumstances where you can get them. But it really puts the contractor in a bad way if they have an AOB. The other side, you can't lien the property anymore. The other side can opt out in two weeks. So it's really not a good thing. The, um, what I typically get people to do is it's so important now to become, uh, have a relationship with the owner so they don't switch on you. Because when you have an owner and you have to sue them, yeah, you can sue them. You can get a lien. But the question is how much is the mortgage ahead of you? Because really what you're getting is a lien. A lien's the same as a mortgage. So you get a, you get a mortgage ahead of you, maybe three or $400,000. Are you willing to take that out? Probably not. So it's, it's relationships are really, really key now because you don't have the hammer of the AOB. Interesting. Uh, let's go to Ken Siders. Ken, you're, um, you've got a little different perspective, I think. You do both the house check side of things, but also you travel and, and respond to large losses. Can you tell people what you're seeing out there? Absolutely. So this has been a year of, of large loss experience for us in the storms. We've responded to all the storms that have hit Louisiana and, uh, and the Pensacola area. Um, our experience has been, uh, I'll echo Mr. Larson, in that 
that there is such a dearth of good adjusters on the other side. And I believe that some of them really do want to do the right thing. Well, instead of seeing the new people because of the size of the losses we've been dealing with, we've actually been seeing some people who wouldn't normally be away from the desk come into the field to do adjusting. Um, that has been, and obviously can't name names, but some of the bigger insurance companies that insure churches, that has been uh, disastrous to say the least. Um, because they haven't been in the field for a very long time. They've been thrust into this position because of the amount of storms. Some of them literally don't either don't know or don't remember what the standard is or how things go. I've had several jobs that were simply stopped in the middle of being done well by the contractor, being looked after well by the third party. And the adjuster came in through their lack of experience, said, oh, no, 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 no. We've got to stop all this. Well, all that did was hurt the customer. It actually hurt the insurance company because now most of them are in stabilization mode, which is hurry up and wait. And so I've even had a few heated conversations with some of these major adjusters. And uh, obviously, again, not naming names, but I had one say to me in front of the customer, well, couldn't we just leave all that contamination in the wall? We'll seal it up really well. The customer about came unglued. This was a major church with a major nursery, so child-occupied facility. So this sort of inexperience is not just from the bottom up, it's from the top down. Interesting, Ken. Uh, Peter, I wonder if you might want to add to that. Okay. When I was a board member of the IICRC, we initiated a program where we were going to educate adjusters and have a page on their website. Adjusters need to be educated. They don't know about this kind of stuff. So for somebody to tell you, can we just seal up that contamination in the wall? They have no clue. Now, whose fault is that? Of course, the insurance industry is not going to educate them in a way that they need to be. But you guys and the associations you belong to have to initiate this kind of a relationship and this training, make it available, make adjusters aware that there is such a thing as a standardizing organization that tells you what the standards are. And, and this is a big uh, 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 falling down. And I had to pull out of the IICRC because I was uh, called for some responsibilities to the National Adjusters Association. But I have reached out to them lately to see if they want to revisit this because they've got to educate adjusters about standards. And that's going to be tough when, you know, the adjust, it, it only happens, you know, a few times. And then all of a sudden you need all these people. So I can imagine they figure, well, you know, when we'll, we'll educate them when the time comes. But uh, very interesting perspective, Peter. And I think it is something we need to work on. I want to jump to a, another topic for a moment, because while you're in the middle, all of you of responding to these large losses and, and hurricane damage and rainfall and water damage restoration, we're also dealing with COVID-19 and the coronavirus issue. And I'm wondering, David, uh, let's go to David Renard on this. How has COVID affected your business and how do you see it affecting responses to disasters? Yeah, great question. Uh, early on, Sunbelt, we took the steps that we needed to in our locations to uh, create social distancing for walk-in customers. It really quickly graduated to curbside service. So, and with an internal campaign to advise our customers to call ahead when they need equipment, let us come out and, and do it curbside with no, you know, no touching. You didn't have to sign anything. Uh, so, that part of it has been, uh, you know, worked out really well for us. Um, 
as far as uh, you know, safety measures, other safety measures, one of the things that we, we did early on also was to clean the equipment touch points before and after every rental. Uh, that became very important to us to provide that safety for not only our employees, but our customers and their families for, for that matter. And um, the other part of it that has affected the hurricane response and, and other responses with the storm, uh, the ratio and, and uh, the, the fires was that our ERT teams, which are voluntary, uh, it limited us to the number of employees we could bring in to help set up jobs, to help tear down jobs. Uh, it was, uh, that really affected us in a negative, in a negative way. Uh, and so we had to source labor and other things from third parties more than we ever have before. Interesting. What about, uh, John, John Lapoterra, are you seeing any changes in, in your role assisting people through these emergencies because of COVID? No, no, nothing in the way that we respond to emergencies or, or large losses. Uh, reoccupancy from some of our, our property owners is uh, a balance between uh, what the tenants want to see prior to reoccupying and what's actually necessary. The property's been unoccupied for an extended period of time. Normal housekeeping, um, and then turn it back over to the tenant. Some people are wanting a lot more than that. Uh, but during the restoration of our losses, we're not having any problems whatsoever. We've turned the corner on shortages for uh, PPE and masks. So we're not even seeing much of, of that affecting us anymore. The, the days of a $25 uh, individual Tyvek suit are, are behind us, thankfully. Good. Well, that's good to hear. So you've been able to get PPE without many problems. Are you just using your usual suppliers? Yes, uh, just ordering online and staying ahead of the curve. So just making sure we keep the, the shelves stocked. So it's not uh, when you need to get it. It's uh, keep a good stockpile and be ready. Good. All right, let's go to Ken Larson. Ken, same question. Yeah, um, we haven't really noticed uh, too much uh, other than um, customer concerns about uh, coming into their home um, and, uh, you know, they want us to be protected. Um, but uh, usually within the first day, they uh, start to relax and, they're, you know, they see that we're being careful and we're not touching things and we're keeping social distancing. Uh, interestingly, Ken Siders and I have uh, worked quite closely together uh, on uh, as a consultant to uh, different groups and entities who are seeking guidance on how to um, approach uh, a healthy uh, or, or um, cleaning and disinfecting um, occupied environments and how is that uh, engineered, how does it look, how, what, what do you do, what don't you do. And so Ken Siders and I have been working on several committees actually assisting with that. Um, uh, but, you know, it really hasn't uh, affected my business as much as it has affected others. Um, it's more just careful, attentive attention to details and, and keeping clean. David Popper, I, I definitely want to get your thoughts on this topic. Um, how is COVID affecting people's, you know, their contracts? Are they changing their contracts, their, their, their protocols? Um, what are you seeing? Well, you know, it's funny because we were looking at the insurance policies and seeing uh, whether that was physical damage or not. 
there's a court in Missouri and a court in North Carolina that has um, given business interruption coverage for uh, COVID, um, saying that there was physical damage because the COVID was actually on the on the on the on the material. Um, I don't know that that's going to fly overall, and the reason is is because when you look at insurance pricing and how and how they and how they develop it. Uh, they will, they will sell a certain amount of policies per zip code to hedge their bets and, and spread the risk around. Well, COVID's everywhere. So if, if those cases stand, I'm not sure what the insurance industry does. It's going to be very, it's going to be very difficult. And COVID for, for business interrupt, I've not run into many COVID uh, business interruption matters between a contractor and a, and a consumer yet. But I, I was looking at it from the standpoint of business interruption uh, for businesses because of COVID, and two states have already said that's fine. So we'll see where that goes. What about the the general contracts that people have when they go in to do this work, David? Are, are you recommending any changes to their contracts because you know either they or their employees or the oh, people they're working for? I, I, absolutely, well, we we are putting in um, in for you know when time is of the essence. Obviously, something like a pandemic has to be accounted for. So we are putting in pandemic clauses. Okay. All right. Let's go to Ken Siders. Ken, what are your thoughts on this? You've been around a little more, I think. You've been in, uh, what, Louisiana? I don't know if you made it over into uh, any of the other states between Louisiana and Florida, Mississippi, Alabama. But uh, what are you seeing as far as COVID? So, uh, yes, I've been to all of them. And we have territories that are even into Philly and to California, so I have an interesting overview. Um, we've decided that we'll just simply uh, go over the top. We don't uh, go into the house unless we have a mask on, booties, gloves, anything that can possibly be done to make the customer uh, more safe and to make them feel that we care about their health. So we go into a lot of residential homes and we've had good response. There's the occasional person who, who is just a little bit eaten up with the problem. You can't avoid that. But the, what you can do is do everything within your power to make your customer feel comfortable and help them recognize that we're all in the same boat together and we're doing our very best to service their needs. Okay. Cliff, I want to make, oh, okay. I just wanted to check, see if you had any follow-ups. Um, let's go to the types of scams that we need to warn people about. Um, and, and if you guys are seeing any of these scams popping up, they, they typically do around these types of events. Peter, let's start with you. Okay, are you thinking of scams, meaning exaggerated damages and so on? Well, it could be exaggerated damages. It could be people coming in and, and taking down payments and running away. I mean, any, you know, any of these things you typically see, are you seeing more of that, less of that? I, I would say not necessarily. The public is kind of getting wise to that, and the, and the uh, governing bodies, the authorities are aware of that type of thing happening. I mean, it was, if you think back to Katrina, when it was whole scale uh, Wild West out there, things have changed since then. And a lot of governments, local governments are taking precautions and warning and establishing legislation that says, you know, you can't do that kind of cheating and scamming and overpricing in catastrophic events. But so, so yeah, I, I don't see, I don't see that as a big concern personally. Interesting. All right. Well, that's good news, actually. Uh, that, that's kind of, in your perspective, uh, not as big of a problem as it has been. 
Let me jump over to uh, John Lapoterre for a moment, because I know you, you've been in the middle of Florida there, and you probably see a lot of people running in. What are you seeing with respect to any, you know, un, uh, any shady dealings going on? Well, I think the, the thing that we're, we're seeing a lot of is, first, the licensed mold assessors are flooding the areas of loss and immediately collecting hundreds and hundreds of air samples for mold spores. Uh, I don't know that they're going to get paid for collecting air samples for mold spores and properties aren't stabilized and, and open to the elements right after a hurricane, but they're believing they will. Um, they continue to do this after every storm. So there are, you know, thousands of air samples for mold spores and dozens and dozens of, of mold inspectors racing uh, to chase a storm to cash in on the collection of air samples. And then you have the, uh, uh, assessors that are charging as much as $1,500 to categorize water without collecting any samples. They're simply cutting and pasting in a report um, their misinterpretation of the S-500 and declaring any water, any water damage from any hurricane, um, roof, surface water flooding, wind-driven rain as Category 3, and they simply write a boilerplate report up and call it uh, the categorizing stormwater damage, call it all category three and they're charging $1,500. Um, if you can picture a, a condo building, they're trying to do it for each condo and not as a single property, uh, which actually gets to be pretty substantially uh, expensive. Uh, and they're not collecting any samples. They're just simply uh, stating that it's category three. So I think storm-related, that's probably the biggest scam. Beyond that, it's going to be the, the new relationships with restoration contractors and roofing companies. And every roof leak that ever happens is now Category 3, requiring containment, flooring removal. Um, so exaggerating water damage as Category 3 uh, seems to be the, the new uh, money grab that we're running into a lot. Okay. I want to come back to that with uh, David Gennard after we take our little halftime break here. We're going to stop and thank our sponsors real quick, and then we have a, an unfortunate announcement to have right after halftime. So give us one minute. We'll be right back. Our marquee sponsor, Instascope, the future of IAQ assessment, unlimited sampling with instant results at instascope.co. Association sponsors, are the American Industrial Hygiene Association at AIHA.org, the American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists at ACGIH.org, the Cleaning Industry Research Institute at CIRIScience.org, the Indoor Air Quality Association <clears throat> at IAQA.org, the Restoration Industry Association at restorationindustry.org, the Institute for Inspection, Cleaning, and Restoration Certification at iicrc.org, and Healthy Buildings America 2021 at hb2021-america.org. Industry sponsors are AEML Laboratories at aemlinc.com, Particles Plus at particlesplus.com and Healthy Indoors Magazine at healthyindoors.com. 
Major L. Long Sr., 81 years old, longtime resident of Cashiers, North Carolina, passed away peacefully on September 22, 2020. Major was born in Madison, Wisconsin on September 2, 1939. He was the son of the uh, late Dr. Leonard Long and Florence Long. Major entered the construction business by building spec homes with his father-in-law. From there, he went into carpet cleaning and morphed into fire restoration, calling his business Smoke Master. Major was the disaster restoration industry's earliest early adopter. So as not to compete with contractors who gave him work by only cleaning contents uh, and deodorizing structures. He worked from a small warehouse for cleaning and storage of customers, smoke damaged property. He purchased boxes and moving supplies from a local moving company where he first saw storage vaults in use. He felt storing contents in vaults was neater looking and more efficient, so he adopted their use. A key to his success was his self-confidence. He knew no one else could do it and that he could. His Atlanta business was doing very well, so he expanded by opening additional Smokemaster offices in Tampa and Houston. He was the first to f- uh, franchise fire restoration only and quickly sold franchises in Memphis, St. Louis, and Joliet. He then spun off his Tampa and Houston offices as franchises. At this point, he was sued in federal court for trademark infringement by Service Master. Disaster restoration marketing first. This was the mid-1970s. He was the first company to use full-color literature. He was the first disaster restoration company's technical consultant. He ran a small ad in the RAA magazine advertising his services to consult with pricing on larger unusual losses. One product of which he was very proud was Jackie Gleason's Florida Mansion. The home was spectacular in both size and appointment. The playroom had four full-size pool tables. Gleason had a collection of 3,000 leather-bound books, valuable paintings, and other fine arts. He introduced computer estimating to a system with estimating in 1987, or I'm sorry, 1977. Uh, He developed a system of takeoff sheets and worked with a computer programmer to develop an estimating program, which he marketed to other restoration firms. His most proud business accomplishments were his life as a restorer, his voluntary service in RIA, where he was the first restorer to be president of the association, and for his stint as technical director when Martin King was on sabbatical. He retired from restoration in 1986. Some of the adjectives that described Major Long were humble, kind, soft-spoken, generous, creative, and bold. For some of us old-timers, Major is the guy who made a major impact on our careers. Uh, He was the person who taught me personally the most about fire restoration. I'll never forget him. Radio Joe and I interviewed uh, Major Long on September 19th, 2008. I suggest if you haven't heard the interview that you listen to it. Back to you, Joe. Thank you, Cliff. All right, let's go back to the discussion on the, the hurricanes, and I want to go to uh, David Gennard. David, I haven't seen much of FEMA. I, I assume they're out there, they're doing what they always do, but I just haven't seen a whole lot. You know, normally you would see FEMA coming out doing, you know, uh, press conferences and media gatherings and so on. What's your experience been with FEMA during this most recent uh, situation? Uh we work with FEMA some on power and emergency 
emergency power and so forth. We don't have a lot of direct contact with FEMA. Uh, we work with a lot of contractors that are that have uh, uh, agreements with the the states, and uh, so most of our from our perspective, it would go through uh, through a contractor, uh, you know, and then back to FEMA. Okay, John Rappelter, are you seeing uh, FEMA in in the kind of numbers you've seen in the past? No, we're we're not. Uh, could be just the, the circles that I'm running in. We're just not running into them, but uh, not not seeing a whole lot of uh, FEMA out in the field where, where we're at. Okay, uh, and I'm wondering, Ken. Let's go to Ken Larson. Ken, what other kind of unusual issues are you running into this year? Well, I I'm, um, wanted to chime in on uh, as a follow-up on um, what John Lapatera was saying related to scams. Uh, and he's right. Those scams do exist where people are uh, uh, generically categorizing all hurricane water as Category 3 uh, without any testing or any other criteria. Uh, that is definitely a problem, and uh, there's, there's far too many scopes of work that have been created under that assumption that are not validated. The opposite is also true. I'm seeing a lot of scams. If a scam is defrauding a consumer, then I'm, I'm of the opinion that some of these program uh, participants on insurance uh, uh, claims, uh, they are involved with the insurance company's preferred program work, they're going in and doing jobs um, according to whatever the adjuster tells them to do. They're not doing it according to the standard. They're, they're cutting corners. They are leaving buildings very wet, not just a little bit, but very wet uh, and incomplete. And then saying, well, that's what the insurance company told me to do. And so that's what I'm doing. I think that's equally um, uh, inappropriate. And I believe it should be called a scam. Um, because it's not in the consumer's interest to receive that quality of workmanship. Interesting. Cliff, you have a follow-up? I do, Ken. Uh, good to see you, by the way. Um, a question for you. Um, do you think that IICRC uh, training or standards bears any responsibility for this heightened awareness about Category 3 water? Oh, wow. That's a really good question. I haven't given that much thought, um, but... I think that the, the risks associated with contamination inside the built environment uh, is real. I think that uh, there can be infections and health implications if the structure is not properly or completely um, uh, uh, restored or decontaminated from whatever washed into the building. Um, I think that the contractors who are doing this line of work I think that it is negligent on their part if they are not um, ensuring that the structure is sanitary prior to their drying strategy. I think that that is something that most restorers should really take a good hard look at. Um, you know, just because they sprayed some magical disinfectant juice on a surface does not necessarily mean they accomplished what they hope it, it did. So um, I think that there needs to be more accountability for contractors. Is the IICRC accountable? Uh, boy, that's above my pay grade. I, I think we should let a Drinard say, or not Drinard, um, uh, David Popper answer that one. Uh, it's more of a legal let's, question. Let's go to David Popper. David, any follow-up on what Ken is talking about here? 
does the IICRC hold any accountability for the uh, language in the current standards related to category three water and the protocols that it speaks of in there? Is the IICRC accountable for that? I don't believe so. It's, 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 not, it's not statutory. It is, uh, it is industry, it's industry standards. There's no law that requires you to follow it. It's, it's just, it's good practice to follow it. It's something that you can, re, you can rely on to some extent, but I, I don't see where they would have liability. I really don't. They would have to, you know, they're, they're keeping up with everybody else. Now, if, they were, if, if that were to be codified by Florida law or some other law where that was a standard, that would be different. Right now, it's only, um, it's not required that you follow the IRCRC. It, it suggested, and if an expert were to say he relies on it, that's helpful in court. But it's not, it's not a, uh, it's not law. Okay. And what, what about, I'm curious, Ken made a statement that some of the insurance, and I, I maybe we'll get both David and Peter to comment on this, that, that some people are pushing for buildings to be cleared essentially prior to them being totally dried out. What type of liability do we have there, David? Well, it's funny. I had a case a long time ago where, um, down in Florida, John Lapidore may know where it is. John, you know those buildings on I-4 going towards Disney? They were on the left, it was the two pink buildings? Yes, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I had that mold case, and, and these guys were actually, these were actually owned by a couple Brazilian senators. And when the mold leached out and mushroomed out, they would throw chlorine on it and paint it. <laughs> and that was it. And um, there, you know, because of the, of the of the risk to personal harm that those that those molds have, I think there is liability there. That's it. Particularly, if, you know, you know the Aspergillus and the I can't pronounce this ever right. But it's the Stachybacchus or Bacchus. Yep. Um, yep. Those are dangerous. Those are dangerous molds. They they, they will hurt you. Particularly um, Aspergillus in infants is quite dangerous. I'm curious. Let's let's go to Peter Crosa. Peter, what I got a text question. What about the negligence from the TPA side or the insurer side? If they are clearly negligent on something, what kind of repercussions have you seen in the insurance? Okay. Well, uh, let me say this about scam versus what I think is incompetence. I, I, to me, scam is sort of an organized crime type thing. And I think what you guys are talking about is, is incompetence, to be sure. And, and the same issue with somebody asking a contractor to bury the contamination in the wall, you know, let's not deal with it. I think that's happening more and more. And I think uh, that a lot of practitioners are not IICRC certified. Uh, but, but, but to address um, the issue you just, you just mentioned, uh, Again, I, I think it's a question of incompetence. And as far as liability goes, well, you know, let me see that lawsuit and how it plays out. I don't think the restoration industry has, has been very active in going after these scenarios or that their people are suing contractors because mold was left in the house. They're suing insurance companies, perhaps. But uh, I'm, I'm not seeing a lot of that to the extent that it changes the behavior of the insurance industry. I still think they're coming out there with a heavy stick uh, and they're getting away with a lot of stuff 
uh, because of lack of litigation or, you know, the liability scenario. Let's go back to David Popper. Do you have any follow-up on that? You know, it's funny because when you go to the insurance policies, there's a lot of exclusions for a lot of the things, as you know. Um, so insurance companies feel they're pretty safe when it comes to these type of claims. Um, I think there's tremendous liability if you leave mold around. I, you know, if nothing else, uh, you know, what cures, what cures things 100% of the time is disclosure. You've got mold. It will cost you X number of dollars to fix it. Here's what we want to do. Here's what it costs. Here's what, you know, and if you, if you have a homeowner make a written waiver, a written understanding, I think that's one thing. Just to just simply bury it. No, that's liability. That's, that's, that's a product liability. No, just like the Ford Pinto that blew up. It's liability. And people have a right to know what risk they take. I would love to take that case. Okay. And I, I just have a funny feeling Ken Siders wants to jump in here. Why is that, Ken? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I have seen so much, and I'll speak specifically to Louisiana. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of handwritten signs along the road saying mold removal, call cheap prices. And then about a month after the storm, we start getting calls saying our home's been remediated. We're ready to build back, and someone says it should be cleared. You show up at the house, there is no sheetrock, there's no trim, there's no doors, it's all out in the front yard being picked up by FEMA or whoever, and there's mold growing all over the structural members. So someone's come in there for a large portion of the insurance proceeds. In one case, it was $90,000 they charged this customer to take out everything. They, they did no remediation, they just simply slashed and grabbed and left. I've seen this over and over and over again. I feel that there should be some way to stop these people. The, these are homeowners and they're not stupid they're ignorant because they haven't played in our game they in good faith pay someone to come into their house and to make it livable again and what they've actually done is spent money that should have been spent for rebuild for some person who has really just taken it for a ride yeah, so, it could be criminal if you think about it. it i don't think the prosecutors had it yet but if, if you put i mean to me that is almost a manslaughter willful and wantonly putting people in danger yes i agree so I've not seen, prosecutors are too busy though. It's kind of funny because I had some white, I used to be a criminal lawyer in the army, but um, you know, prosecutors down, there's so much with drugs and murders and shootings and all that stuff. They don't have time to get to this. Besides that, it would require thinking. And that's the last thing they want to do. I, I wonder, I wonder Sorry, if that, that $90,000 bill, if that's a fruitful endeavor, did they actually collect 90 grand from somebody who would have paid that? They did. This was a, a homeowner that got, somehow they ended up maxing their policy and they got all the money. And so that should have been enough to easily clean the problem, rebuild the home. But unfortunately it was as usual, some fly by now out of the out of state handwritten sign person. So surely there's some culpability on the homeowner's part. That's just ridiculous. Hey Ken, uh, have you noticed in your, uh, uh, response to the storm that you see the restoration contractors that will drop off equipment and charge to structurally dry for a few weeks only to move the equipment hypothetically next door and then go back to the house they dried and remove everything? Yes, John, I have seen that over and over and over again. Unbelievable what they're doing. They used to just gut them 
And now they realize that they can charge to dry them for a few weeks and then gut them and double dip. That's one of the other scams that we're seeing after the storms, just piles and piles and piles of material out front of the house. And you look at it, you're like, well, okay, maybe it was, it was so saturated that it needed to be removed. And then you review everything and you realize they actually want to charge for two weeks of drying what's sitting in the yard that they knew they were going to remove. Well, one of the problems you have you know, when you're litigating, for example, that would call for punitive damages. And punitive damages are, uh, are damages where you intentionally do something to harm somebody. The problem is a lot of these companies are so thinly capitalized that when you sue them, there's really not much to get. Insurance companies don't cover punitive damages. So the, that's another thing you, people need to think about is how capitalized are the people that are fixing your, repairing your place. It, you can't, there's no debtor court here. You can't, you can't get them. You can't get, if they have no money, you go into bankruptcy and collect 10 cents on the dollar. That's one of the ultimate defenses you have. A lot of these companies are just thinly capitalized. So, Joe, if I might say something else. Um, I don't want to kick restoration contractors, and I know that for some that might appear to be what we're doing. So when we work on large losses or on somebody's own home, um, we work in the best interest of the property owner. And and I stress that that we work for property owners, and in many cases um, we will and have walked third-party adjusters out the door along with insurance adjusters, and we do what's in the best interest of our property uh, owner to uh, restore their property in the shortest amount of time with the least amount of expense. And if the insurance company doesn't trust us to do that, they can argue with the billing when we're done. But we will, we will not wait. We will not stabilize and, and go into a holding pattern. We will restore our client's property and then review the billing after the fact. And we've had no problem with getting reimbursed fully in the end, um, I would encourage anybody that's working on the on the behalf of a property owner to move forward with quickly restoring the property and not wait for approval when that approval could be months and months down the road and, and the loss can continue to grow. So assess, restore, and then negotiate. But don't wait. Don't let the house or the large loss become worse. May I chime in on that? If I may, right, let me get Cliff. Cliff had a follow up, then we'll get Ken, and then I got to get Pete in here too. Yeah, okay. I, you know, I, I think one thing going back to what uh, Ken was talking about, you know, seeing down in Louisiana where these houses are gutted and the ninety thousand dollars was taken and and, and 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 so on and so forth. You know, these guys might have done a nice job gutting the home. They might have prepared the home. They might have sprayed everything, you know, inside the home. The chemistry doesn't last forever if you're using the wrong chemistry. And what's going to happen is if you're in that Louisiana environment without any electrical power, uh, you know, even though you cleaned it or whatever, there's enough moisture in the air to, uh, you know, to support molds. I think a lot of this goes down to, you know, product knowledge of the products that these people are using because there are products on the market that you apply it once and uh, it's going to give you a long-term protection. But in any event... Ken Larson, jump in here, then we're going to the roundup, John. Okay. Okay, real quickly, uh, John Lapatera had a good point. You know, the contractor knows what needs to be done. Uh, the adjuster should step aside and let the work be done. Uh, I would ask John that, uh, how he would respond to this uh, angle that I just recently heard. In the policy, there's language there that gives the insurance company the right to inspect. And if you do the work before they had the right to inspect, the damages, they can deny the claim. 
So you can't just escort them off the job. You have to wait for them to get there or waive their right. And in the state of Florida, they have 90 days to determine coverage. So they literally can wait until eight, the 90th day before they inspect. What are we supposed to do in that scenario? Yeah, that, that is a good question, and that does come up. But that's where the relationships uh, uh, take over. And that's where, as a consultant, I have to do everything in my power to negotiate my ability to, to move forward, whether that be with a video inspection uh, and the insurance company or with the insurance blessing that they'll accept uh, our assessment. And in some cases, that has uh, led to the replacement of adjusters who disagreed, and I worked my way up the ladder until in the best interest of the property owner and the property, we get the right adjuster or the right person that agrees for us to move forward and not wait that, that 90 days. But it, it is a challenge, but if, if you're a diligent consultant, you can work your way up the ladder and find someone that understands the need to do more than stabilize a property and, and restore it in a timely fashion. Thank you. Great conversation, guys. Let's bring in, let's go to the roundup, bringing the restoration industry's global watchdog. Well, the first things first, uh, Cliff, um, fantastic job on, uh, on Major's eulogy. A lot of people really don't know who Major is. And the easiest way I'll sum it up for this audience is after Marty King, he was the most influential person, I think, in the restoration industry, certainly within the REA ranks, but maybe even in the larger picture. And, uh, you know, we'll, um, we'll, we'll basically move forward with that, with that uh, eulogy to, uh, to get it published in the industry trade journal. So, I'm, yeah, I was sad to hear the news. But anyway, you, you did a fabulous job. Um, now, uh, so uh, what I want to say is, is number one, I want to thank the panel. You guys did fantastic. And really, uh, Joe and Cliff, you guys do a great job of, uh, of really managing these kind of panels with uh, all the questions and all the stuff. And as you see, we really started out with just a short handful of questions to address the panel, but then a lot more comes out of it. And I can see here in, in the second half that, um, you know, we really now start to dig into it because one question, one response kind of le leads to something else. Um, so the one thing I, well, there's a couple things I like to say. The first thing is I, I, I temporarily was off the call right after the halftime and came back on. So I didn't see the original chat. I couldn't get the original chat log back, Joe, but there was a question that was asked. And during the first halftime on the first part of the show, can't remember the gentleman's name that asked it, but it had to do with the respiratory protection in the industry. It's when, when the guys were talking about masks. Did you ask that question potentially why I was temporarily no. off? Yeah. No. Why don't you, you know, that's a great question, which I think the panel should address. If you could pull that up in the chat log. And then the other thing I'd like to suggest is since Ken kind of brought up the policy issues in Florida, John addressed it. I mean, there's no way that we could end the show without having Crosib weigh in from an insurance perspective on that question and without having Popper weigh in from a legal perspective. And that and that's a great question, a great discussion. So, you know, uh, that, that's I don't really have much more to say. I was fabulous. Uh, I'd like that the respiratory question to be addressed by the panel, and then I'd like I'd like uh, I'd like uh, Peter and uh, David to uh, to basically address the uh, the rest of the discussion that John and Ken were in. And with that, I, I will yield back to you, Mr. Radio Joe. Thanks, Cliff. Thanks, panel, and thanks to all the listeners calling in. You know, 
We, we had a bunch of listeners that started calling in in the second part of the show. They probably were busy. So we appreciate you guys calling in live and stay tuned for the blog. So anything you missed early, Cliff will capture all the key points in the blog and that'll go out next Thursday. Back to you, Joe. Thank you, Pete. All right. So the, the comment question was um, interesting. The perception that a mask will somehow protect anyone from exhaled breath. Masks do not work that way typically. I think, though, I think most of you guys realize that, you know, if it has an exhalation valve, it's not going to work very well. But I think maybe what you were talking about was using an N95 without an exhalation valve. Anybody want to follow up on that? I mean, you know, the two guys that really kind of commented that I know, I was watching the chat log, Joe, when that came in, and that was after Ken Siders made some comments and uh, maybe one of the other guys. But between him and, and Lapitaire, certainly Larson, I mean, these guys are, you know, they were all into the, to the, to the respiratory, and they do that in their job. So they got a comment. Great. If not, let's move on to the other part with uh, I mean, Peter and David. Go ahead, Ken. Ken Siders. I just want to say, speaking as, as one of us who don't uh, shave the face every day, uh, there's a large population that, that wear beards or are some version of that. Let's all be realistic. Once you put a mask over a beard, it's not really a mask anymore. That's my only comment. No, that's a good point. I think, but I think most people in the industry realize that if it has an exhalation valve, it's not doing a heck of a lot as a source type of source control. So. Uh, what I'd like to do, though, is finish up with the other suggestion Pete made. Uh, let's have Peter Krosa, starting with you, follow up on what Pete just recommended, and then we'll finish with David Popper and uh, maybe go around one more time and say thanks to everybody. Yeah, I just Peter. want to echo what uh, Laporteur said. The policyholder has a duty to mitigate their own damages. So if your insurance company is going to delay you for 90 days, you need to do something about your damages. John had the right idea. You've got to do what needs to be done work with the expenses afterwards. And then I want to say a quick thing. About 30 years ago, I had a substantial fire loss at a furrier facility in Buckhead, which is a rich, very wealthy area of Atlanta. And this contractor shows up and I'm thinking, who the heck is this guy? Very dapperly dressed, very professional. <laughs> my first meeting with uh, Major Long, who I later, about 20 years later, found out that he's like one of the gods of the restoration industry. So <laughs> that claim went very smoothly, not knowing who this guy was, but he knew the, the furrier and, and we had a great time handling that claim. Just kudos to him and salute thanks. to him. And thanks for joining us, Peter. We really appreciate it. David Popper, final thoughts. Uh, you want to follow yeah, up on what Peter just said? That's a tough situation because when you're, when the homeowner doesn't have the funds, to repair and you're not sure what the insurance company is going to do. Uh, that's a tough situation. That could actually break a contractor. Yes. And, and as, a as a practical matter, you're going to have to, I think, start a writing campaign to the insurance company and put them in that position. Because on the one hand, you want to help the homeowner, but you can't do it to the detriment of your, of your business overall. It's a, it's a tough thing. I think the only thing you have to do is really lean into the um, lean into the insurance carrier or maybe even get counsel at that point to start uh, start writing your the bad faith letters because because again you want to protect the homeowner but these things get pretty expensive and I don't think that the average contractor's got the wherewithal to support something only to be left holding the bag at the end it's a it's a problem great point. but I, I, I don't think that you have to 
fall on your sword, go bankrupt, spend every dime you have before you know what the insurance company's going to do. I, but I do think you put it in line. I don't think Great anybody advice. expects otherwise. Thank you, David. I know you had to run, so we appreciate you joining us. You Let's guys. go real quick to David Gennard. Final thoughts, comments? No, it's first time uh, meeting with, with you guys. I enjoyed it. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, didn't have a lot to add on some of the some of the topics, but uh, you know we we've, we've uh, had an extremely busy year. It's a great time to recap all that, and uh, I just appreciate the opportunity to to listen and and uh, listen in with you guys today. Thank you. We appreciate you joining us, David. I I, I really appreciated your perspective, and I look forward to talking again soon. How about John Lapotere? Final final thoughts, John. How's it? Awesome to be on the show as always. Appreciate the opportunity to, to share my thoughts. Um, I would give everybody one piece of advice. Do what's right for the property owner. Um, always do your best to restore in the shortest amount of time with the least amount of money. Uh, that's what we're trained to do. And if we are the best trained and the best qualified, we should have the ability to do it faster for less money. And if you, um, maintain a relationship with the insurance companies, they'll start to recognize you for being able to put that together. So do the best the best that you can for the property owner. All right. Thank you, Mr. Lapater. Ken Larson, final thoughts. Um, I actually don't have any other things to add. I mean, this is all a very good uh, uh, panel discussion. I just noticed in the notes that Ed Light, uh, you know, a very well-known environmental consultant, uh, science guy, he said an exhalation valve along with a, that, uh, with a surgical mask equals good emission control and protects the mask surface from soiling. So double up on the mask and it, um, I guess that there's some value to that process. Uh, and I just want to remind everybody, we don't wear masks to protect ourselves. We do that to protect others. And uh, that's the purpose of it. So. Ed Light always comes up with a, a great comment. Thank you, Ed. And Ken, thank you for joining us this week. Uh, let's go to Ken Siders. Give him a final – any final thoughts or comments, Ken? i just say thank you very much for the invitation to be part of this uh, wonderful panel, and uh, I've enjoyed it. All right. Thank you, sir. And I don't know, is, is Peter Cross, are you still on? Yeah. Peter, final thoughts from you. I, I, I wanted to make sure we gave you that opportunity. Okay, here's a piece of advice for your, if you're a contractor going out to write an estimate on a loss, whether it's catastrophic or a daily claim, get your estimate done as soon as possible so that the inexperienced adjuster has an idea what he's dealing with, because he's going to write a $6,000 estimate where your estimate is $60,000 and it's more realistic. He has no idea. He has minimal training, not enough background to call the shots, but his idea is he wants to get in, write the estimate, get out, and move on to the next claim because he's making money in volume of claims, and he doesn't have the background you do. Get your estimate done first so he can see what should be addressed. I can't imagine a better way to end this show. Uh, Peter, thank you so much. Our restoration contractors, I'm sure, thank you as well. This is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks to this week's guest for what a, it was a tremendous, uh, tremendous panel. And I want to thank Pete, the Restoration Industries Global Watchdog, Consigli, for helping pull this together. My co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. John, you got to have faith at the controls. Most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners. 
We'll be off next Friday for Thanksgiving, but in two weeks, we'll be back with Dr. Lisa Brosso. She will be talking to us a little bit more about the COVID issues and some follow-up on uh, some of the shows we've been doing on that. So everyone have a great Thanksgiving. We'll see you in two weeks for the next episode of IAQ Radio Plus. Happy Thanksgiving. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Lee saying thanks for listening.